Thanks for tuning in to Hand to Hand in the Trenches, a missionary story podcast. I'm Sarah Hickam. And I'm Kimberly Croker. And we are your hosts for this episode of Hand to Hand. Hand to Hand is a ministry outreach of Charity Baptist Tabernacle in Amarillo, Texas. Hand to Hand is a missionary story podcast that tells the true stories of Christians around the world who've hazarded their lives for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Welcome to episode 3 of the story of Naval Chaplain W. Wyeth Willard. Chaplain Willard received two presidential citations for meritorious service under fire and awarded the Navy's highest honor, the Legion of Merit. Chaplain Willard served more days under enemy fire than any chaplain in naval history, which is where we ended our story last week. Chaplain Willard and the Marines on the Solomon Islands were becoming very weary from the constant fighting in the islands. Chaplain Willard helped in the makeshift hospitals using the opportunity to witness to the wounded. He preached up to six services on Sundays for the Marines in Tulagi and nearby Tanambogo and Gavatu, not to mention sometimes conducting services during the week. Last week at the end of the episode, we told about the U.S. destroyer and cruiser that had been sunk and many of the wounded men were brought to the sick bay. Chaplain Willard and his assistant, Sergeant Culp, had worked long into the night washing the arms, faces, and chests of the wounded, and of course, witnessing to them. The Corps men and doctors worked day and night on the wounded. One of those Corps men was Charles J. Hillam. He never missed a service whenever he could attend. Thank you, Chaplain, for that message. You're welcome, Corman. I'm glad that it was a blessing to you, and thank you for your faithful attendance. Well, I need to hear the word, especially in these islands with all the killing and war. Well, I'm glad it has been a help to you. It's good to see how well the men received the gospel. I, I hate war, but I know that God has used it to bring some of these men to the point that they realize without Christ, they will die and go to hell. Yes, sir. You know, I've been thinking about something. What's that, Corman Hellum? It would be great if we had a chapel here on King George Field. Well, that would be nice, but sadly I have neither the time 
nor the building materials to erect such a chapel. And besides, I would just as soon preach out in the open air under the trees. I, I really don't need a building to preach in. And what about when it rains or when the sun gets too hot? As for the building materials and the time, we'll take care of these matters. A few days later, Corman Hellam solicited enough lumber, iron roofing, and nails from various units on the island to build a small chapel. Corman Hellam enlisted the help of CB carpenters and other helpers to complete the project, so that at least for services on King George Field, they would be out of the elements. A short time later, Corman Hellam was transferred to the battlefront on Guadalcanal. By now, the fighting was especially heavy there. One day, he went into the line of fire to rescue a wounded Marine. A Japanese sniper saw him and shot him through the chest. Helm stopped long enough to administer first aid to himself and then pressed on to help the wounded man. But the sniper shot him a second time, piercing his spinal cord paralyzing him from the waist down. A few days later, he was evacuated. Sergeant William C. Culp was a great blessing to Chaplain Willard. Like we told you last week, Chaplain Willard had been sunburnt very badly and he had a heat stroke and he had gotten a high fever. It was Sergeant Culp that took care of him while he had been sick. Eventually, Chaplain Willard would recommend Colt for a better position because he knew how good of a Marine Sergeant Colt was. He was eventually sent to the front on Guadalcanal to command a platoon. The company commander had told him that he really didn't want him because he had been the chaplain's assistant for too long. The captain soon realized he had been wrong about Sergeant Colt and ended up recommending him for a second lieutenant's commission. But, for the three months that Culp helped Chaplain Willard, he was a great blessing to the chaplain. Sergeant, how long have you been in the Marines? Four years, sir. I enlisted right after high school. Tell me, William, how long have you been born again? For about two years now, sir. Like I said, I joined right after high school. I was young, and I fell in with the wrong crowd, and I started drinking with my new buddies and it didn't take long before I became a drunkard. I wasted two years of my life like that before someone witnessed to me. It didn't take much convincing for me to see the mess that I had made. I got saved and God began changing me from that moment. My bad habits disappeared because of my savior. He changed me and he cleaned me up. That is a great testimony, brother. I, I think it would be good for you to tell it to the men some Sunday. One thing that always brought great joy to all the men serving in the Solomon Islands was when they would receive letters from home. On Friday, September 25th, a cargo ship arrived bringing several dozen sacks of mail. They'd been fighting in the islands for nearly two months now, but they hadn't heard from home in about three months. Chaplain, report to the command post immediately. There's a stack of letters there for you. Well, praise the Lord. Good morning, Chaplain. 
I imagine you're here for this large stack of mail. Yes, sir. I know you're as excited as all of us to hear from home, so I sent the messenger immediately. Thank you, Colonel. It's been so long, I was worried, and had even begun to wonder if my loved ones were still alive. I understand. This takes a long time getting mail all the way to these islands. Thank God we don't have to wait that long to speak to him. Yes, sir, that's true. You know, Colonel, in all the time that we've been here in the Solomons, there was only one time that I doubted that I would see my family again. When was that, Chaplain? After we first landed at Gava 2, our rations were running very low. Japanese destroyers and submarines were cruising around our islands at night and bombarding. And during the day, enemy planes were flying in droves overhead. Do you, do you remember what you told me? Yes, I do. I told you. In case of an enemy assault, we fight to the last man. And for you not to let them capture you alive. Because they won't treat you any better than any other man. Yeah. So, I resolved at that time that in the event of a last-ditch battle, although I am technically a non-combatant, I would grab all available weapons and use them to the very last. We're fighting a very cruel enemy. In Guadalcanal, they're taking some Marines prisoner. Later, their mutilated bodies were found, with chunks carved out of their bodies. The Japanese give no quarter and expect none. Yes, sir. That is what religion without God will produce. Sorry, chaplain. I didn't mean to bring that up. Go read your mail. It sure was good to hear from my family. Thank you, Colonel. Many of the Christian men had the idea they were fighting in another crusade for their Christian civilization. Chaplain Willard realized the importance of winning this war, but he also told the men it would have been far better if the United States had sent missionaries to those nations that they now opposed. Chaplain, let's hope this war will be a turning point in our history. I'm praying that there will be a genuine turning to Christianity by our people back home. Yes, I hope you're right, Private Thaxton. There's no doubt that it has affected the way many of the men here view God. And there's no doubt that we need to turn back to God at home. Do you remember Lieutenant Sweeney? Yes, I do. I remember many talks we had on the transport on the way over here. He was a good Christian and a good Marine. He died in his tank on Tenembogo. Yes, he was. He told me once about when he was attending a large Midwestern university. In his senior year, he was taking a course in advanced biology, and his professor held certain radical views regarding the origin of the universe and of life itself. In his lectures, he would often go out of his way to slander church and the Bible. Yeah, he told me about this. And when it came time for final examinations, there was one question that dealt with those radical and unscriptural views. 
He answered the question completely just the way the professor wanted, but at the end of the answer he wrote, The above statements are the views of my professor. I have not accepted these opinions as my own. Lieutenant Sweeney had never flunked a test, but that professor failed him just because of what he had written. It's things like this that remind me and make me realize how much our country really needs to turn back to God. I wonder how long gullible Americans will remain under the charm of a hot-headed group of militant atheists under the guise of academic freedom. They are parading their nonsense with shibboleths such as the so-called most assured results of modern science and scholarship. It's sickening, but we need to remember that the only way to change America is to preach the gospel from the holy word of God. Yes, sir, if we would proclaim the gospel in all the world and it would be received, then we wouldn't have to fight wars like this anymore. When this terrible war is over, as nations return to a normal routine, our churches must send missionaries everywhere to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to teach men that a man must be born again. On October 27th, Chaplain Willard woke with a fever of 102 degrees. His clothes were wringing wet with sweat due to a protracted sea battle. They had spent several sleepless nights at their combat stations. Chaplain Willard was run down and very weary. That morning, the air raid alarm sounded, but Chaplain Willard was so sick that he could not get up. Chaplain Willard, we have to go. I, I can't get up, Sergeant. Go on without me. I can't leave you here. Here, let me help you dress. Go on. You don't have to do this. Okay, sir. Now let's put this blanket around you. It's a good thing we have a foxhole not too far. I'll help you walk. <sighs> Thank you, Sergeant. Uh, I, I'll just sit here on the edge of the foxhole and, and jump in if we see... Oh. Chaplain. Chaplain! Wake up! Corman! Chaplain Willard had passed out. He could have taken the opportunity to be evacuated on the transport plane, but he really wanted to stay with the men. I am sure that it was tempting. He really missed his family, and he was very weary. But he knew God had a work for him to do with the men on the islands. Chaplain Willard had dengue fever. The fever is contracted by mosquitoes, which were in great abundance in the Solomon Islands. His fever reached 104 degrees before he finally felt better. As soon as Chaplain Willard was released from sickbay, he moved with his regiment over to the island of Guadalcanal. It wasn't his first time on that island. He had made a visit a few months before to minister to the men fighting on Guadalcanal. Guadalcanal is an island off the southwest coast of Tulagi. It earned the name, the Island of Death, to the Japanese. At the beginning of the campaign for the Solomons, Tenambogo, Tulagi, and Gavitu were the hot spots. But by now, 
Guadalcanal was the chief scene of the battle. Chaplain Willard visited the sick bays, which were overflowing with malaria patients. Fortunately, he still had a few hundred Gideon New Testament Bibles. They didn't last for long, though. On Guadalcanal, once people heard that he was giving them out, they were gone. We will take a minute here and tell just a couple of the stories of some of the heroes who died on Guadalcanal. Captain Furhop from Galveston, Texas, was killed by enemy artillery fire. When a corpsman came to dress Captain Furhop's wounds, he told the corpsman, do what you can for the others. I don't think that you can save me. His dying words were, God is my savior. Another man, Corporal James R. Wells of San Diego, died on Guadalcanal. Praise the Lord, he had gotten saved at a Bible class, which Private Thaxton had conducted in Chaplain Willard's absence. But Corporal Wells' wife had been expecting a baby. His friends in the regiment raised over $500 to send to his widow and baby. On the lighter side, one night, Chaplain Willard and the other officers sharing his tent retired early. About 10 o'clock, they heard strange noises. Japanese snipers were known to be close by. Suddenly, they heard a loud crap and found themselves surrounded and practically helpless. It was quite a way to be jolted from sleep. After a few groggy and confused seconds, they realized that the center pole holding their tent had cracked and the tent had actually fallen down on top of them. They breathed a sigh of relief and then fell into uncontrollable laughter. One of the occupants of the tent, Dr. Moore, woke up. <coughs> What's happened? <laughs> the, the tent fell down on us, Doctor. Again, they started laughing hysterically. Everyone in the tent nearby must have thought that they were in some kind of brawl or something. A sentry rushed over and ordered them to be quiet immediately. We will be glad to, <coughs> if, if you will get us a more satisfactory tent pole. And by the way, sentry, what, what is the password? The amusing password for that evening caused them to burst into laughter again. Oh, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 17 and verse 27, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth up the bones. Yes, but if you laugh too much, people will think you're an idiot. <laughs> Later, Chaplain Willard wrote this of Guadalcanal. Guadalcanal was the proving ground for our men. There, on its domed hills, and in its deep ravines or tangled jungles, and on its narrow plains, green troops became veterans and boys became men. The continual baptism of bombs, shells, and bullets made us forget fear. All we could do was to trust in God to deliver us if he saw fit. Guadalcanal was the habitation of stout-hearted men. 
And when you consider the fact that Chaplain Willard stayed when he could have been evacuated, we have to say he also was a stout-hearted and faithful man. He said that they forgot fear, but not all of them did. One day, a private came up to Chaplain Willard in tragic need. Chaplain, I'm desperate. I feel so guilty. What can I do for you, Private? I'm a replacement. Recently arrived here to take the place of a man who had been wounded or killed. During the battle the other day, when bullets were flying thick and fast under cover of darkness and unnoticed, I forsook my companions. Some hours later, I returned to them again. I hadn't even been missed. When we get into another battle, what can I do? Tell me, young Marine, where do you come from and how old are you? I'm 17, sir, and I'm from New Jersey. Okay, Private, here's my advice. Patriotic motives caused you to enlist in the Marine Corps. Courageously, you asked to be sent to the combat zone. You arrived here in the Solomons. This was your first battle experience. There are no openings for men behind the lines in non-combat units. Every available man is needed at the front. It will be a bad memory for you to hold throughout your life that you ran the wrong way. I believe you can make good. Try once again. Let me pray with you that God will strengthen you and give you courage. Later, Chaplain Willard found out that the young Marine did make good in the next battle. Much of Chaplain Willard's time was used counseling men in such a fashion for many different reasons. As we mentioned, he helped in sickbay, praying with the wounded and dying. He read scriptures to them. He conducted many services throughout the week and wrote letters for the wounded men. Not to mention, he would always be handy to help privates unload trucks, set up tents, and so on. Another thing that Chaplain Willard did was to visit and preach for the natives on the islands. He had been told that there were about 40 Episcopalian churches on Florida Island in the Solomons. There were no other churches on that island. Chaplain Willard found out that the early Episcopal missionaries had started these churches at great sacrifice to themselves, but at great benefit not only to the natives, but even to the Marines who were fighting in the Solomons. The natives loved these Americans who were fighting for their freedom from the Japanese. He was told about the pioneering missionary, Bishop John Coleridge Pateson. He was martyred on September 20, 1871. He was killed as soon as he came ashore because the only other white men that the natives had ever seen had lured some of the natives onto a ship and sailed away with them as slaves to work in distant mines. When the Japanese took over the Solomon Islands in 1942, one of the missionaries, Frederick A. Rowley, chose to suffer with the natives rather than to enjoy for a season the pleasures of Australia. The natives hid him in the bush. A few months later, he and nine native boys risked capture, torture, and death at the hands of the Japanese to get to the American lines 
on Guadalcanal. One of these boys came face to face with a Japanese patrol, and he was killed. The missionary and the rest of the boys made it to the American lines. The boys sang at Chaplain Willard's services on a couple of occasions. The Marines had men like this to thank that the natives no longer practiced cannibalism. Many of the men told Chaplain Willard they were going to help support missionaries when they got home. Chaplain Willard would travel over to the native villages and preach for them every now and then. One of the conversations with the Episcopal missionary, Mr. Rowley, went like this. Tell me, Mr. Rowley, do you teach these natives the latest modern theories? For example, do you discuss the so-called synoptic problem or the theories of higher criticism? No, we don't. Thank the good Lord for that. And if we did, they wouldn't understand it anyway. Amen. Thank the good Lord again and again. Not long after that, Mr. Rowley was sent to Malaita. So when a problem arose with the natives, they looked to Chaplain Willard for guidance. One day, he even received a letter from a native named John Hawka that said, My dear sir, I am one of the teachers in the Church of England, and this church teaches us not to marry two women. Although, during this difficult day, when the bishop wasn't here, one of these natives broke that rule, and he got two women as his wives. In his letter, John Hawke went on to ask Chaplain Willard to forbid this man named Graves, Milena, from doing this wrong. He sat down and wrote Graves a letter. All right, we'll just keep this short and direct. Dear Graves, you cannot belong to the Church of England and have two wives at the same time. Signed, W. W. Willard, Chaplain. Chaplain Willard preached the gospel to the natives every chance he got. One native, named Stephen Salato, after hearing him preach, made Chaplain Willard a very beautiful cane. He said it made his heart glad. So he made the cane for Chaplain Willard. The cane was made of ebony with 415 well-designed pieces of mother-of-pearl inlaid in a perfect pattern. He was told later that the cane was worth up to $5,000, but Chaplain Willard would never sell this gift. It meant a lot to him. Well, I guess I get to be the bad guy this week and say that we need to stop there for this week. Next week, we'll go ahead and finish up the story of Chaplain Willard. Next week, we will close out the story on Guadalcanal and tell about some of the fruit of his labor in the islands. Also, we'll talk about Chaplain Willard landing under fire again, this time on Tarawa in the Gilbert Islands. We thank you for listening, and until next week, God bless y'all. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2.